0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 28 of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, programs. I am Jay Goldberg. I know everybody kind of just was fresh off an episode we re- released uh, early last week, so you get sort of another one uh, fairly quickly within a, a few few days, less than a week. So, uh, so there you go. Um, we thought it would be interesting to come back to this topic around custom silicon or semi-custom silicon, because some more developments have happened since we've tackled this subject uh, a few months ago. Um, Jay and I have both sort of been in the weeds, backroom discussions. We can't tell all of the details, but it's sort of come at least more to my surprise than Jay's from from what I find out that there's a lot more custom silicon going on than really gets talked about. Um, I feel like if you were to just casually ask anybody, the broad assumption is going to be, yeah, it's a merchant silicon world. You know, you you buy prompts, you put those together, and that's true of a lot of vendors. However, some of those vendors who I would say are leaders in their category um, are doing a whole lot more custom silicon and not talking about it. So there's a dynamic there where we'll talk to what pockets that's happening in that may may not actually get talked about. For whatever reason, some companies might want to keep that strategic advantage hidden, which I think is fascinating. But there's also um, s- some good information now around at post-Amazon earnings this week around Graviton. And like I'd said uh, in the last episode, I was at AWS Summit uh, the week prior where more more stuff around um, Inferentia Tranium and graviton was discussed. And so I think think I have a better handle on really Amazon's ambitions there um, that we can talk to. But let's start let's start with Amazon. On the call, they uh, they, they I, and, and I take, I guess the narrative. You, you can tell me if you sense this or not. Um, I feel like it's a message that they want to start getting far more out around custom silicon. You know gravitons now on on multiple iterations, so it's it's maturing. Um, and Tranium are obviously there's a roadmap coming, and they'll be on 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 next versions soon. But it feels like they want to talk about it a lot more, and they highlighted it on the call. They said uh, fifty thousand customers use AWS graviton chips and AWS compute instances, which includes ninety eight of our top 100 Amazon EC2 customers, and these chips have about 40% better performance. Uh, Other quote, by using Graviton-based instances, Amazon was able to get compute capacity needed, so same compute capacity, while using up to 60% less energy. My take from this is, you know, and and I'll be curious sort of what your original thesis was on why they're doing it. I think they had hinted at You know, we want to be price comparative, but I I always thought it was, well, okay, you want to be price comparative, but that means that these aren't the highest value workloads. Like you're just going to say, well, if I've got this rich workload, it's going to happen somewhere else. You're sort of doing this on a a budget, get Graviton. I think that's not true. I think that they really want to push and make sure that even if it's a, let's call it a, a high performance workload that they do have an Amazon option that perhaps is on par with an Intel, maybe an NVIDIA and AMD, but do so with better price and better per and, and, and lower consumption. That's kind of, I guess my evolved takeaway, if you will.
1: Yeah. So the original thesis behind arm server CPUs was it's going to be less power Mm -hmm. and it will be comparable performance, but less power. Because in 2018, 2019, that's where the ARM universe was. Like it just couldn't quite compete. It couldn't do all the workloads that x86 could do. It didn't have those big cores. And it was kind of limited, but not limited. There's a narrower universe of addressable workloads. And and that's how, that's where, you know, Graviton came up, was introduced in that, that time. But since then, the whole ARM ecosystem has moved, has improved. And you see that a lot in how Ampere talks about things, where they're now able to say better performance, less power. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's too it used to be just sort of good enough performance, but better power. Now it's really good performance, competitive performance, better performance, and less power. And I mean, it's semiconductors, right? It's it's engineering. There's trade-offs. It's not always you don't always get you don't have the best of both worlds. You can you're tr- making trade-offs. You're giving up some of the power savings to get better performance. But but the my point is that the ARM ecosystem has advanced since Graviton started, and that has a that has given you know Graviton in its you know third generation, fourth generation scope to improve the offering. And I I think what what we talked about this a few episodes ago where when ARM servers were first coming out, twenty eighteen ish, they had to pitch this TCO total cost of ownership story. Right, the idea yep. was, yeah, your performance is great, but you to spend a lot less money, and so you can afford to throw more compute at it, and it comes out even. And now we see the x eighty six side, especially AMD, adopting that TCO language. As and I think that's part of this evolution where you're, everyone's starting to everything is very competitive now. Right, where you really don't have a, a clear case where one is better than the other. I think in mm-hmm. 2018, you, it was an easy argument. x86 was better. And now it's much, much more complicated, uh, which is good for customers. It gives them a lot more choice and they can mix and match. And so Amazon can now offer, AWS can now offer Graviton and save its customers a lot of money. But I, I, if, I if I heard the quote right, if I read it right, their, their customers are saving 40%. And Amazon saving sixty percent on power, so that's twenty percent boost net to Amazon. Mm-hmm. So everybody, that's you know, that's that's good. They they've shared the they've shared the gain.
0: So I, I want to get get back to like you said the original thesis. And, and what intrigues me though about some of Amazon's language, if I'm reading between the lines, is there's there's the performance parity which I think they want to continue to get out there, which I think is an interesting point. Performance parity, lower price, as well as power savings, which as we talked about numerous episodes ago, matters to Amazon because energy is very expensive. And, and by the way, energy is hard to secure. So there's a sense of shortage of it. So the more they can do that, but there's this question of, you know, you you and I've talked about this before when you own a lot of your own software and, much of Amazon's backend, including many of the things that they announced around LLMs and Bedrock and really interesting stuff at the AWS Summit, that's all their software. So theoretically, they could continue to prioritize and optimize their software for Graviton, for Tranium, and for Inferentia. And I think, in many ways, there might be a path to better performance, with amazon's infrastructure than their x86 counterparts and maybe arguably their gpu counterparts if they get those workloads so then you could potentially have better performance better price at at lower wattage which i think could be really interesting and 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 again because they control their stack that's it's a plausible idea that they could go that direction
1: yeah Uh, yeah i mean four or five years ago amazon clearly made a decision to go after this they saw something strategically beneficial in ARM CPUs and and actually you can find some of the, the some of the commentary they've released online like how they thought through it right but i think in the early days of graviton my my guess my very strong suspicion is that most of the workloads that were running on graviton were internal aws workloads mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right because you have to manage all those all those data flows across all your data centers, that's a, that's, you know, 20% overhead. Uh, that's, so that's AWS is probably AWS's biggest customer biggest user. And I think that was really important for the arm ecosystem because that was the, they, they did the pipe cleaning for arm, getting all the arm tools, all the software, pushing all the vendors to get the software optimized because Amazon cared about it internally. And, that served as a forcing function to bring the software ecosystem al- along, which helped the broader arm, you know, s- installed base or aspiring base. So I, but then, but then somewhere along the line, they, they've, they've solved that problem. They solved the software problem, they've improved performance. And now they, they uh, somewhere, somewhere in there, they saw this big savings. They started to subsidize, uh, Subsidize Graviton to encourage users to switch over, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's 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 partly because of that that saving. They save a lot. And they make a lot of money. It's better for them. Yeah, yeah. But they had to do that heavy lift first.
0: Yep. Yeah. So the other part I've been thinking a lot about, and this is this point sort of on the back of a couple conversations um, I've had with software engineers around this whole idea of generative AI's role in um low code no code programming and i as i we were talking about this i started thinking okay what if and and i'm about to address the software is not optim- has been always optimized for an x86 world or an nvidia cuda world um how, the the deficit to a arm or a risc5 product is again the, the software you's got to be optimized for that but what if in a in a generative ai low code no code environment you could just tell a back end system i would like all of my 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 code and to be tuned and optimized for this product and it just does it for you and you don't have to do any of it and i'm and i'm curious if things like that could could make it easier for you to essentially say i've got this software stack or or a third party software stack that you want to run it on the best infrastructure hardware that's that's up to you your decision but you don't have to worry about that code optimization it'll just do it for you so pick the best performance pick the best price and or pick the best money savings too let it optimize via gen ai and 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 i wonder if that could help some of these software problems that's highly manual now because i've talked to people at intel and amd where there's code bases that they want optimized for their chips that's a it's a hellish process but i'm intrigued by this idea that low code no code and gen ai could do a lot of that optimization for you. yeah I mean,
1: i'm not sure i'm not sure we're there yet right because the the problem with optimiz- optimizing software for a new instruction set like arm is you know 80% of the work is just you click a button right recompile to arm mm-hmm. that's 80% of the way there the the problem is that last 20% is is really tricky and it's very low level, and in some senses, yeah, I think that would be a great way to apply AI to that and say optimize this. But on the other hand, my sense w- with a lot of these AI coding tools is that it's this very similar power law and effect where you can ask one of these tools, Copilot, to to write some code for you, mm-hmm. but then you still have to be savvy enough in code to actually go through Definitely. and it right that's that's all these ai systems whether it's driving or writing code there's still like you're still measured about how much human interaction is still required and i i I think for a task like this where a lot of the the sort of improvements you're looking for are very very subtle and hard to find uh, i i'm not sure the ai tools are quite there yet but if they are then that's a fantastic use for them because it's it's a really painful painful process. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, mean, I, s- I agree. I, I, I was going to say, I, I agree it's probably not now. I'm, I'm thinking longer term, right, to address some of these optimizations things, that if we're to a point where more of this can be automated so that, you know, you, you have a, I mean, just again, let's just take this model of, let's assume that Amazon's Inferentia does get competitive, right, and a company who has a lot of data proprietary data, whether again, whether they're expert coders or whatnot, can can basically say, I want to train this data. And I look at my analysis and I go, it's going to save me money to do this on inferentia, but I haven't quite optimized for that. Just use some tools that go and do it and bring me back my desired outcome because the chat engine knew what I wanted, knew my parameters, knew what my goal was, and just did it for me. And so I think I definitely agree. We're not there. I'm just intrigued by that being a direction we can get to, to sort of, I I would say, quell or neutralize some of the architecture gaps in software that we see today. So that it's essentially perhaps more architecturally neutral in the future.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense, but I do, I do think it touches on another sort of side issue here, which is that I think, Amazon's AI position is not great. They were taken as very much by surprise by the rise of ChatGPT and their response to it so far, I don't think has been great. There are certainly signs that they that the AWS architecture has some uh, restraints, has some limits, just the way it's architected, where the way everything has to sort of go through, the control plane has to go through the Nitro card uh, that limits the flow of, of data Across the system, that which means uh, that AWS is not a great place for running AI. Right now, of course, it's it's Amazon, and they're going to have lots of GPUs and all that, but their architecture may not be best suited for this. And I think it's really, I think that's going to be one of the important questions: is how AI, how how they respond to it. Right, my my sense is that Trainium and Inferentia have not gotten a lot of customer enthusiasm.
0: I would say that's uh, true
1: right and and it's i think they're still both in their first generation
0: yep first generation and it's
1: it's been a while right i'm it's yep. it's been three three years now i think for both of yep. them I, and and i would i would say if you you know go back six months before chat gpt got launched uh they were already behind the curve mm. because of inferential and trainium then chat gpt comes along and I, I have to i have to wonder if they had to sort of scrap their plans for the next version of those chips and re-architect them for mm. large language models, transformers. So they're, they're in a, I think they're in a tough spot there. Um, but I do like that idea. What you said is they have all this data already. They have this immense training set. They know, they know what they had to do to optimize everything for the, for, for Graviton. If they could apply that knowledge to coding tools, it would be huge. Right. Yeah. And, and not, not just, not just for, you know, chips, but for like, you know, just using Amazon, I mean, I think the whole world would love to have, a the whole computing world would love to have a, a, a co-pilot for configuring their AWS dashboards. Like, that stuff is so yep. complicated. Yeah. Uh, a, a little bit of AI might go a really long way there. And for an AI, you know, they they know what all their other customers do and to put that into yep. a, a, a a big transformer model and say, oh, you're trying to build this service here. You should configure these things this way. And here, we'll do it for you. Yep. exactly.
0: Yeah. No, and I think... You're, you're totally right. I, I'll be curious what happens at reInvent this year. Um, that's November, I believe, because I have to think they're going to have some insu- some stuff around all of this. I mean, again, they announced a new LLM called Titan and Titan XL. They've got Bedrock, which was some of the, the underlying p- points of this infrastructure. So they started to to talk about, exact, address exactly what you said, which is like, here are the things we're trying to do. But again, I think because they control some of these fundamental infrastructure uh, coding environments, I'm just intrigued by what they can do. Because at this point, my read on Amazon is that they they're trying to give the most choice possible of any of the public cloud hyperscalers. They, you know, you just look at the number of of LLMs that they're supporting, and it's significant. Now, again, those aren't all going to live. It's going to condense down to a few, but. You know, If you're at Microsoft, you kind of have one defined for you. You've got Google, you've got one or two defined for you. So Amazon's definitely pushing more choice. But that's what I'm saying. I'm intrigued by, yes, let there be a software world of choice. Let there be whatever. But when you do the analysis, you look at that and you say, it might make sense to run a lot on their custom silicon, which, again, I think has a, a tremendous amount of strategic advantage to them in, again, cost, margins, Energy efficiency that they can leverage, which which helps their margins. Which I think at the end of the day, that's that's a big part of their their upside for growth. So anyway, I'm intrigued with that. Well, I'm sure we'll see more at uh, at reinvent. Um, my guess is it's coming, but but yes, they have to address this, just like you said. And I think they're they're starting to do that in a in a very Amazon way, <laughs> if you will. Um. <laughs> So let's say some other parts. So we we can't entirely say everything, but about more about this, there's a whole lot more custom going on. Um, in some of these conversations, different peoples, um, there's actually a lot more uh, semi-custom in networking going on than I think people realize. And, and most companies don't seem to want to talk about this. Now we know Marvell and Broadcom both have Semi-custom groups, they talk about this, so they're clearly working with companies to do something that's we're calling semi-custom. Um, but there's a lot going out there in, in network acceleration, and I have to believe a lot more will come in. But I'm intrigued by this. Like, I hadn't spent a lot of time really kind of digging into what infrastructure is semi-custom around uh, the networking side of things. But it appears that's actually far more prevalent. In fact, every hyperscaler may very well be doing this.
1: Yeah, so I, I have a list of roll your own semis and yeah, at, at least five of the big seven have networking chips that we're working on, right? Uh, Google has their own really wild optical stack, uh, which is very, very tightly bound. They have their whole thing going on, an alternative to Ethernet essentially, which is very powerful, but it's very, very custom to them. I don't think they've announced that they have a custom chip at the heart of that but mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. thinks there's something there uh tencent is working on something i think baidu is ByteDance maybe as well i've heard some rumblings about that M- microsoft had a really interesting fpga based network acceleration that they had for years right and this was at a time when aws was really pushing its nitro solution and and the microsoft azure came up with their own internal version of that but it was fpga based and i you know there's a lot of questions about microsoft right are they gonna do their own cpu they haven't done that that's been rumored forever it hasn't happened uh i have to suspect that they're working on some networking thing as well that that rumor has been out for a while i think there was a rumor that that marvell had built it for them Uh, or was they thought of something else but it turned out it's probably this it wasn't athena it was this something like that so there's a lot of there's they have to be working on something too and AWS, of course, has Nitro, right? Which is sort of a networking part, smart Nick, uh, There's just an immense value there. And I, I think part of the reason the companies don't talk about it, one is that there's a fair amount of security involved, so they're a little sensitive mm. about that. But, mm. but two, it's also not an interesting category for the broader press because it's, it, it's not a category where you're obviously displacing somebody else. Right? The press loves that story where Apple builds the M series to get rid of Intel. That's an interesting story. To say, oh, you know, Google's designed this networking chip because they want to do something weird with networking. Right. That that that's that's not a, a approachable story, and so I, I don't think it's written out as much, and so the companies don't talk about it. Um, but it's really it's it's really important. I mean, if you look at what Nitro was able to do for Amazon, it was critical for their early years. Really, really important. And so it, it, there's there's you know there's a lot of fun stuff there, and it, and it, again, it's not really displacing. Like the 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 Broadcom Tomahawk chips, those are still important. They provide they're a separate part of the networking stack. Uh, this is something a little bit more arcane, and it's very very specific to each of the vendors. And so there's no good story there, and so it doesn't get covered.
0: So I wonder also, though, I mean, is that the kind of thing that um, may or may not show up in kind of customer experience? Like they're doing it for themselves to gain efficiency. But you're not necessarily looking at that saying, well, Microsoft's going to provide me X amount of additional bandwidth or latency because they do this. Like they just don't, you just don't really know. Like it's not, maybe it's not something that you show up in a performance benchmark because the end customer may or may not, it might be. Some oh of those oh right
1: yeah, there. absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not something it, should, it, it the the best ones are completely transparent to the customer. The customer shouldn't even know it's there. However, however, it starts to become important with AI. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing training especially and you wanna you have these big models where you're sharing data back back and forth and you're running the model a zillion different ways, we've talked about this. Memory is the key is the key bottleneck in, in training. And you need to have very, very, very low latency systems, otherwise the whole thing gets bogged bogged down. And I think that's where that's what I was saying before is where Amazon's starting to get into some trouble with Nitro. It, is it is, there is some kind of latency ban uh, penalty there right. that affects this. Um, but the, 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 basic idea of a smart NIC or networking controller basic sure. is sort of is, is an enabler and it shouldn't be something that customers even notice or care about, right? but it right. is very important yeah. to being able to make the whole thing work.
0: Yeah, no agree. And that's why I think it'll be curious to see to this point we just talked about in terms of AI like we talked about last episode, when an infrastructure refresh sort of happens and dollars are spent, I think there's a thesis that you know NVIDIA is fairly well positioned, or at least to be competitive, competitive with InfiniBand and some of the stuff they've done with the Mellanox acquisition. Um, and I think that's part of the thesis that solving some of those things and speed and latency and eliminating that bottleneck to pure compute is, essentially where that's that's guided but this has been why people have solved these problems with some semi-custom work because um you know it's actually a non-trivial size business like it's a decent size business for marvell and broadcom um and and it's been growing because i do think there's going to be a continued amount of dollars that go into co-custom or semi-custom type of chips especially around around ai so it is interesting to the networking stuff but again i find it. Fascinating that nobody talks about it, but I think we just <laughs> highlighted why why nobody talks about it. But again, that's just another example of a whole lot more custom custom silicon going on than uh, than people realize. Um, okay, so the other area this gets this gets interesting. We've talked about this before. I retweeted this today that you know Qualcomm and NXP and whatnot are trying to accelerate an exor- a consortium for Risk Five and we have been talking to what are Risk Five IP licensing companies, so companies that are very much like ARM, possibly not as expensive as ARM, but very much like ARM, and that they give you underlying IP, and then you can go and customize things. And the one market that we keep seeing as a common commonality is automotive. That more automotive companies in China and in the U.S. are licensing companies from these Risk Five IP companies for actually. Critical parts of the automotive silicon stack. Like I I, 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 thought it might be something peripherally, but we're talking about ADAS, we're talking about security, we're talking about zonal. We're in some degrees we're talking about sensor fusion. That's interesting stuff. Like that's where Qualcomm wants to go. That's where you know, mobilize sits. Like there's interesting parts there that that we're hearing people are using Risk Five, not to go with. So so one, that's another example of. Tons, I think, of this kind of non-talked-about custom silicon is going to go into automotive. Um, But I kind of also am intrigued by this question. I I think the answer is no, so I'm just going to lay it off to you. No OEM is going to be like, we developed the Ford sensor fusion blah, blah, blah hub, and consumers are going to be like, ooh, that's why I want Ford, because they are making their own silicon. Like I think this might be another scenario where Lots of content dollars go to custom by OEMs, and but doesn't get talked about.
1: So I think, yeah, I'm struggling here because I think you're right about the US. Uh, okay. It's going to be years before any consumers like, oh, the Ford Dragon or the Ford, you know, Octagon, whatever, really want that gm inside okay. like right do you oh, think that might got...
0: happen someday like they'll use that as a feature they'll say we've invested in whatever custom technologies because so it's just like a tesla tesla talks about it but i don't know how many people of my, friends of mine that own teslas that have any idea that they've made their own chips
1: branding consumer branding for semiconductor companies is very rare it's not impossible and very right? difficult yes. and very difficult but it is possible Yes. Right. Intel inside is still Intel pretty is potent. Yeah. Yep. Every consumer knows, not every, but consumers, a lot of consumers care about Snapdragon. That's another. Right? Qualcomm has a brand there. Uh, you know the GPU, GPU cards certainly have brands. Yeah. It's not. It's not totally crazy to me that some U.S. Comp- some car company, would want to do that. Market around their chip. I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. And the, the reason I'm struggling with all this is because that's, that's exactly what's taking place in China right now. Right? Every Chinese ev maker, not every but a lot of them are designing their own chips. Yep. And,
0: and they're risk five, by the way, everyone.
1: And they're and they're largely risk five. Yeah. I, I mean, it's in, interesting, mobile, I really got its start by selling eight ass solutions into mm-hmm. that bar into the Chinese automakers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And part of the reason they've struggled lately, Is that a lot of those chip makers have moved to doing their own internal designs and mobilize doing fine. I don't want to knock them, but it's definitely been a headwind for them in recent years, I think it's very likely that the Chinese automakers will eventually market around having their own chips as Mm. being something that differentiates them. Mm. And so then as those cars go everywhere else in the world, but the U S and Canada, do they copy over that marketing? to use it as a differentiator. It's not, it's not crazy to think that I don't, I don't think it's really happening yet. It's going to take a while, but I think that is something that becomes possible.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I, I I'm intrigued. You know what, one thing we haven't talked about. So if you're U S based, you probably don't really know this, but China and India are actually very, very attracted to specs. So, they tend to look at, oh, that's got eight cores. that's better than if it's got six cores. And so that's why Qualcomm brands really heavily, right Snapdragon there, Intel has AMD has same with India and so you look at you look at those things and to be honest with you, that's also why Apple talks up a lot of specs. yes, it gets the press interested, but there are, people in China and or India who actually care and will evaluate Apple's underlying CPU performance in, in making decisions. So I guess I'm curious then if that same dynamic comes and I guess you could argue that, that it could in the shift to electric because there's a portion of that where yeah, there's a lot of underlying technology happening in your electric car. And so therefore you do care on perhaps some of those, Different compute metrics because it's not a pocket computer or a phone. It's it's very very different things. But it like for example, it may be relevant that let's just use Ford. Ford comes out and says we've designed the Yada Ford. Let's we'll call it Ford Dragon. We're naming it for him. And it gets a thousand miles per charge because we like you know maybe maybe that's relevant when it's a metric that matters right. Similarly to host compute and battery life or something like that. So I, I I could buy that, but I think you're right about. There are markets that perhaps might care more than U.S. and maybe Europe.
1: So I, I think the, there's an important trend taking place in automotive globally. And we've I think we've touched on this before, where consumers, especially young consumers, i.e. the ones who can most be influenced by marketing today, are looking increasingly, they're basing their purchase decisions for cars increasingly on consumer electronics specs. Right, they know how to buy consumer electronics. They know how to buy phones. They know how to buy, buy PCs, and they're starting to approach cars as just another form of consumer electronics, and they look at it in that same light. And in the U.S., what that means is there's a big interest in Apple CarPlay and Android Play and all that stuff. Right, right. right? And so I think it makes a lot of sense that consumers in other markets are going to do the same thing. Right. I mean, there's a lot of first-time car buyers still in China today. Yeah. And they don't have, you know, they can't go to their dad and their grandfather and say, hey, you know. Should I buy a cherry or an Xpeng? What did you buy, Grandpa? Right? It's it's you know like here in the U.S. Obviously, everybody has their their family history. Oh, I'd never buy a Ford, or I'd only buy a Ford. That doesn't exist in these markets, and so they're making consumer decisions based on how they buy their electronics. And and so yeah, I think it's, it's very easy to slot a chip into that as well, right? Especially you give a a big marketing a launch for a new vehicle. That initial presentation, those all look like they all copy everybody copies Apple's style, and right they'll throw up a zillion specs and include one of them will be the chip. And I, I think in the U.S. what will probably matter more is just software. I don't know that consumers will care about how many teraflops their their chip does, how many T ops their chips provide, but software is what will matter. But I, it's it's not crazy to think someday that consumers will pay attention to that too. Right, and, yeah, I mean, and, so, and so this, but this is an interesting question is like, does that mean custom silicon is the way to go? Because if that happens, then custom silicon is going to absolutely be the way to go. This is the way that companies differentiate their products is with their chips. Having their own chips is going to be incredibly important. And I, I think that's going to be true in other markets. I think in the US, if it's just software that matters, that's, or in, the, in Europe too, then just having Qualcomm inside is probably good enough.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, but you're but you're right about the purchasing with consumer electronics mindsets. I mean, you see this today with some of it. it's not just CarPlay. It's hey, this has a 12 inch tablet like display, right, sitting in your console, or this one has a huge whole car wide OLED, right? That's that's display things that they're used to. So so I I, I can't imagine because right? because I think the automotive stuff's interesting, and we've talked about this before, but I've had like a range of conversations around this with. With some people in the in the uh, trying to make chips for these things is how will they start to tell their technology story as a differentiator because they need to stand out than other you know than other cars. It's not like just because I get better miles to the gallon or more horsepower like that might have or I like this brand, which was why I chose something. Like there needs to be more technology differentiation, and that's how I'm curious how they solve it, and then how much do they maybe say, well we. We created this. That's why go with us, Ford versus them, Chevy, or us, Toyota, or etc.
1: When when you figure that out, call the automakers because they would like to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think nobody nobody knows.
1: I yeah. I I think this. I mean, this is this is you know a perennial problem with the U.S. automakers is their ability to advance and adapt and market new things. They don't have a great track record on this front. Um, But you know, at the same time everybody else is struggling with this one I think that the, the Japanese are even further behind and the Europeans that's uh, a whole other story but they're they're not in a great position either and it's really that I think I mean that's a, a big problem is the Chinese automakers have been thinking about this stuff and Tesla I have to throw them in these are companies who are built around this idea of software they're soft almost software first and or certainly user experience first and for them they've I think they've I think all those companies, the Chinese companies, Tesla, have already figured out the formula and now they're just advancing it and retooling it. And somewhere along those lines, having your chip mentioned in the marketing materials is going to be important. Certainly more important yeah. than horsepower and ter- torque and all the things I was supposed to, I was told to care about when I picked bought a car.
0: Yeah. Agreed. No, that, that's super interesting. But you know, just, so just on, on this sort of last point about there being a lot more semi, a lot more custom, than perhaps people realize, there, there's also I think a lot more risk five out there than people realize. It's just not perhaps in the sex- sexiest of applications. You know, we, we were talking to a, a vendor who had multi hundreds of millions of chips of risk five chips um, sold to automotive last year. We know, I know Apple uses it in companion bits around their bits of silicon. It's not all ARM for other parts. So I, I have this interesting question to you: Do you think it's plausible? And again, I know this is not host compute, so not an apples to apples. That more risk five chips silicon is shipped every year than ARM. Not yet, not yet. It's got to be close though, right? Because they're so they're it, in. What
1: well, I mean, I, I think the metric isn't chips; it's going to be cores.
0: Well, yes, right. yes, agree. Right. We love this. We can't figure it out, but that's hundred percent the best metric.
1: Right, because because like Apple, to use your Apple example, Apple's chips have risk cores sitting next to arm arm cores. Yeah, right. Google, same thing. Uh, Qualcomm. I, someone from Qualcomm gave us a, a, a statistic last year where he said, well, "I forget the I think exact it was number."
0: Six hundred and fifty million into automotive. Yeah, they've shipped six hundred and fifty million. Chips. Yeah, yeah, they've
1: shipped six hundred fifty million Risk Five cores. Yeah, but if you do the math, that's in the entire like four or five years of them doing Risk Five. If right. you do the math, Qualcomm probably ships that many ARM cores per quarter, certainly mm-hmm. per year. So it's it's still, it's still you know a pretty big gap. But that's just that's just Qualcomm. If you add up all the embedded IoT automotive stuff, especially the stuff that's coming out of China, it's a it's a big number.
0: It is a big number, especially because since it's not host CPU or GPU, it's microcontrollers. It could be a random display driver. It could be, you know, like you could have a number of them per device per one x86 core or per one ARM core. So it it compounds by number of devices. I was just thinking about this the other day, that I was like, oh, it's not the sexiest implementations because it's not host CPU. It's not GPU. It's kind of boring workloads that they run, but it's important workloads. But there's actually a whole lot more out there and most major vendors are already shipping it in some capacity they're just not talking about it cuz it's not the sexiest of implementations
1: yeah i'm 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 taking the under i think it's still under i'm and i'm okay. re- remembering some of the stuff that Callista Redmond told us when she was on our call the head of the risk 5 international yep. foundation yeah i suspect if we had asked her that question she would have taken the under too but mm. in a very
0: diplomatic polite way
1: very way.
0: hard for them to tr- for anyone to track right almost Impossible, because you and I, you and I, could secretly, had we be a device company, start making Risk Five, tell no one.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And they'd, they'd have no way of tracking it.
1: Yeah. Right? So yeah. Ar- arm cores, you have to. You have somebody's to. keeping track, but somebody's nobody's keeping track. track. Of
0: Risk v. Somebody's keeping track because, as we will talk about when we read the S one, Arm wants to get paid. That's right. That's right. But nobody's keeping track of Risk Five. Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I don't think
1: we're there yet, but I. I that's. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start I like counting. This question.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's wrap that for today. Um, hopefully, we this RMS one will come out in the next couple of weeks because the recent reports from Bloomberg and others say they're doing roadshow after Labor Day. So we got to see it soon. I'm very excited to dig through that and talk about that on an episode that. Hopefully we'll be soon. Maybe while you're in Yellowstone next week, you won't you won't maybe you'll see it. But anyway, thanks for listening everybody. We appreciate your time. Until next time. Thank
1: you everybody. Click click like, subscribe, tell your friends.